The visible church of our Lord Jesus today is filled with a mixed multitude. Some present are true disciples of Jesus, saved and made new by his received life in them. Others are only facades of the real thing. A day is coming when this will be made known to all. Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. Our ministry is going forward every day in countries around the world. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, the Lord Jesus told the parable of ten bridesmaids. Five were wise, five were foolish. Five were ready to meet the bridegroom when he came and go with him to the wedding feast. And five were found unready and locked out from that feast. Jesus was teaching that not everyone attached to his waiting community, the church, was truly waiting for him, and so not all would be received by him. If you are not prepared to meet the Lord Jesus when he returns, it's because you're not preparing for him. If you're not prepared to meet the Lord Jesus when he returns, it means that you're not preparing for him. It means your heart and your mind are not presently set upon him. And if your life is not set upon him now, you won't cling to him and set yourself upon him when he comes. It appears as though both the wise and the unwise virgins look much the same. At the same time, although they look much the same, there was something different at the heart of these two groups. The wise group was together looking for the coming of a person. I think this is the difference. They were looking for the coming of a person. The unwise were looking for and enjoying the present experience, and they were looking for the conclusion of a party. (laughs) They were looking for the social conventions that were involved. They were looking for the experience and the social excitements or benefits that were involved in it. They were more engaged in the joy of the event of the wedding, without any real interest in the bridegroom himself. I'll give an example of this. You have a young girl who's somehow been taught to fixate on the romantic notions of marriage. Maybe she figured it out with her Ken and her Barbie. Who knows? You know? And she's grown in this idea, and she's watched some different romantic cartoons, and it's made her mind think about these things. And she began to read romance novels, and then she used her allowance to buy bridal magazines and scour through them. And she's planning out, and has been planning out for a long time, some spectacular wedding. Maybe Maybe she's dreaming in some way to get away from the home she's in to another home, but she's got her plans laid out and she has her fancies laid out and all she needs is an acceptable young man to come along and play the role as a groom. And He comes along and unwittingly he's caught up in her fancies. He doesn't understand all that's been bundled up in her own expectations. But in a sense, he is secondary. He certainly needed to play out this thing and to realize these dreams she has, but to a large extent, he's simply a means to an end. He's the means to an end of a, a bright and wonderful wedding celebration. He might be the means to an end to a picket fence life or to a domestic dream that she's gathered in around herself, any number of things, but you're not sure as you look on at these things if she's so much in love with the man before her as she is in the idea she has for herself with the man. She hasn't given herself to him so much as she's acquired him as a means of realizing her own significance or playing out her own sentimental dreams. 
We have to ask ourselves if Christ is a means to an end for us or if he's the end. We have to ask ourselves if he has a utility to service our emotional needs and our desires or our comforts or our sense of settledness in life or whether he is the source of all being to us and he's the Lord of all life to us and he's everything to us. Paris Reed has, has a wonderful sermon called Ten Shekels and a Shirt. I've mentioned it before. Google it sometime and listen to it. It'll change your life. He says the essence of humanism says the chief end of all being is the happiness of man. The essence of Christianity, two heart Christianity, is the chief end of all being is the glory of God. And yet very often in the church, we teach a Christianity which is basically Christ did everything for your happiness, for your satisfaction, for your fulfillment, in order to please and satisfy you. And it's just humanism in Christian dress. It looks similar. You've got the lamp and you hang in the same places, but you don't have the same oil burning within it, and not an oil that lasts. This life in the church that we live together is all about, or supposed to be all about, the Lord Jesus. The reason we're supposed to meet together is because the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst. And so we meet together so that together we may enjoy him and may experience him. The Lord Jesus working in your life reveals himself in a different way than he does in my life. He answers your prayers in a different way and prompts you in different ways and reveals himself uh, from a unique perspective. And I want to be with you so I can learn more about him and his ways. The Lord Jesus grants to his followers various gifts in the church. And so some of you have residing within you abilities energized by the power of the Holy Spirit, which reveal the full panoply of all the gifts that the Lord Jesus had when he walked upon the earth. I don't have that full panoply. I might have some, in some measure, empowered by the Spirit, but only some. The church we gather together in order that we might experience a greater and greater complement together the expression of Christ's life in us and Christ's life upon us, and it's, it's him that we seek. At least, that's the reason we're to be together. together. We, we celebrate the Lord's table together because every part of it is to remind us of him and what he has done for us. He's given his life for our sins, and he's provided for us the basis for which we can be washed in his blood and cleansed of all of our sins. He's given his life to us in order that we might live in him and live by him. He's the wine that we drink and the bread to sustain our lives. He's necessary for everything that's good and right and spiritually deep within us. He's life in us. We're supposed to have this meal together so that together we can celebrate what he is to us. And in the celebration, we encourage one another in himself. It's all about the Lord Jesus, or again, it's supposed to be. But you know, it can be just about us. It can be just about me realizing a point of significance, having a place of community, feeling a place of belonging, having people to hold me accountable so that I can learn to do the right things and develop a good ethical life. It can be about just developing a support system for myself to meet the challenges of life and to find encouragement and comfort. And it, wonderful that the church offers all those things. But it ultimately could be nothing more than that. Find people that I identify with and I have things in common with or we share the same political opinions with or we share the same ideas about certain things and we gather together after the service to find out and test one another to see if we've developed the same understanding of what our social condition is or whatever it is. And that's not what the church is about. It's not why Christ has come among us, to live among us. It's not why he's the head and we're to be his body, to share in common his life. It's not to sharpen the swords of our own ideas and understanding and evaluations. It's for us to come under his word and let him come and 
work upon us and work in us and then together give us discernment on how we might live as peacemakers, as presenters of the mercy and goodness and justice of Jesus Christ and his gospel to the ends of the earth. It's supposed to be all about him. But for many, that's not the case. That's not why they come and gather together. That's not why they meet. They meet because they gain a sense of importance here, or they gain a soothing of the jangling of nerves, or this is a small pond in which they can be a big fish, or whatever it is. You have to ask yourself. We have to ask ourselves as a church, and we have to answer this. Is this all about him? And should it not be all about him? And can we truly be ready to meet him if it isn't all about him? This is what we're learning in this passage. When I was engaged to my wife, or before I got engaged to her, I was concerned. I understood that God had called me into ministry. I felt heavily the call of God upon my life. I had a rather dramatic story to tell of how God would called me and was preparing me. She didn't. You know, it was a little concerned. I thought maybe she should have a call to ministry as well, and maybe this was not God's will, and I began to express a bit of my concerns, and her answer to me was, Joel, I believe that God has called me to be your wife. I'm called to you. If God wants you to be a janitor, then I'm called to be a janitor's wife. And if God is calling you to be a pastor, then God is calling me to be a pastor's wife. And that was good enough for me. It was even better. It was quite wonderful, and it was incredibly humbling. She wasn't fulfilling some domestic dream for her life. She wasn't pursuing her self-actualization through me. She was called to me. A wonderful way, this is how it is for the bride of Christ. We're not coming to him in order to fulfill some dream that we have for ourselves. We're coming to him for him. We come to attach to him and be with him and then he gives us our assignments as we see how he lives and how he loves and how he works and we go out to be helpmates in the way that he lives and he works and he loves within the world around us. It's a good and powerful lesson. When Jesus comes, it will be revealed that many in the church were there for him and were waiting together for him and they had their eyes upon him and they'd come just to be with him but it will also reveal that there will be many in the church that were there for the experience or for the benefits that the church afforded to them or the identification with the Christianity afforded to them. Some were looking through salvation to a person and others were assuming upon salvation looking for an experience. And it can all look the same, but the oil in one lamp burns out. And the spirit that Christ gives to the true child of God is an oil that lives and burns within us forever and ever and keeps us ready for him and ready to go out to meet him in order that we might be with him for all eternity. There's a a profound difference. That's what Christ is saying here, a profound difference. And the day will reveal it. Here's the third and last point. When Jesus returns for his people, many in the church, and this message is for those within the church, Many in the church will find out the singular importance of Christ and his salvation, but it will be too late. His coming will be sudden. Though it has been delayed, in the delay they did not make use of the delay to prepare themselves to meet him and to acquire for themselves that salvation which is a light that burns out from them. 
They presumed upon some religion or upon their identity in the Christian community or upon some intellectual belief or upon some prayer that they prayed years before while they went on their merry way. Just like all others, they say to themselves, I'm just like everybody else. I've got a lamp here. I've got oil in my lamp. We're living together. I'm just like them. There's no difference from me. But they never had their eyes of faith truly on Christ. They were always looking to themselves and their place in the play they were acting in. And at midnight, when he comes with a cry of introduction, the bridegroom comes, go forth to meet him. They'll discover in that moment that they'd been playing a role for their own sakes. They had burned oil of a role play, which was over. The true hour of reality had come, and they had no oil of the Spirit of God burning within them to shine out upon the face of their Savior as they went out to meet Him. They will say to those that are around them, ready to go out and meet the Lord Jesus, hey, give us some of your oil, give us what you've got. But you cannot borrow your salvation from someone else. You cannot borrow a love for the Lord Jesus or a life surrendered to the Lord Jesus from someone else. You cannot take the spirit that the Lord Jesus gives to those who have truly trusted in Him and believed in Him and somehow give it to another. At last, it says they'll bang on the door saying, Let us in, Lord, let us in. But the door is going to be closed and they're going to be left out. A sobering picture that the Lord Jesus is teaching in this passage. Not wheat and tares, but people. People presuming upon a celebration, but without the Savior, without our true life with Him. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.